Okay, Psalm 25. We're going to move down to uh, verses 6 and 7 tonight. But we talked about last week, Unto you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And uh, made the statement, everybody lifts up their soul to something or someone. And your soul being your mind, your will, and your emotions, the real you. So where do you take your soul to find peace? Where do you take your soul to find instruction? Where do you take your soul when you're troubled, when you're bothered by things? Well, David said, unto you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Because you're not going to find it anywhere else or in anybody else. And that's what we do, and that's why we end up in such bad shape. So take your soul to the Lord. To, we don't know exactly what was going on in David's life, but something like all of us, he was a sinner, and he had some problems. And so uh, after we get down to uh, verse 6, and uh, we want to make this statement, whenever you sin, run to God. And isn't it interesting that even though we would say amen, that I lift up my soul to the Lord, and I know that it's in Him that I'll find everything that I need, well, then why don't we do it more often? Why don't we do it with more enthusiasm? And why is it when things go south in our life, we look to other things? We think that there's something out there or someone out there that's going to fix us. And uh, sometimes the enemy whispers in your ear, how dare you run to God after what you've done and, you know, that type of thing. And that's uh, certainly not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to call you to run to the Lord that's the only place you're going to find relief and it says in verse 6 of Psalm 25 a strange word remember does God ever have to remember anything I mean he's an all-knowing God and yet that word is there and it's there for a reason oh remember O Lord your tender mercies and your loving kindness for they are from of old Verse 7, do not remember the sins of my youth, I could say amen to that, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Think about this. If God is omnipresent, then you never have to ask him to be with you because he is everywhere and he never leaves you or forsake you, okay? And if he is all-powerful, you never have to ask him, be strong and be strengthened, O Lord, and gear up for all of this because he is the source of all power. And there's nothing too difficult for him, as it says in the book of Jeremiah. That also means, too, that if he is an all-knowing God, then what do you remind him of? And do you have to kind of help him out a little bit dear lord i'm praying to you now you remember that thing that happened 10 years ago and the lord goes wait a minute refresh my memory on that help me think of what's going on that never happens and if he ever forgets anything then he has just become a, a non-knowing all things god is that is that good enough for you and so the word remember here was kind of intriguing to me is that for him or is that for me? When I'm praying, if I pray this prayer and I say, uh, remember your loving kindness and all of that, is God up in heaven going, oh, yeah, shoot, I was going to zap you with a lightning bolt, but I guess I can't now. Of course not. David is appealing to the Lord, and as he recites these things about God, David is reminding and refreshing his memory 
about the Lord and saying this to the Lord, saying, call these up, bring these up, exercise these things is uh, what my prayer would be. And so when we sin, do we feel like that God is just sitting there, just waiting, just, you know, just give me one good reason, you know? One good reason, I'll send you to the moon. Or is God like the prodigal son's father who was anticipating his return and ready to run and meet him and enthusiastic about forgiving? Now, I think sometimes if you read some things in the Old Testament, I've been reading through the uh, minor prophets lately, and uh, if you don't read that through the filter of the gospel and of Christ and all of that, it's depressing. And uh, we look at that and we realize that our God has already paid for all of our sins through Jesus Christ, right? And then God wants to give us the benefit of that whenever he disciplines us. And whenever we confess our sins or agree with him, we get the benefit of the forgiveness of Christ. When we continue on stubbornly our own way and we think that there's something or someone else that is going to bring us joy and peace and relief and all of that. Maybe we look to money, maybe we look to a job, maybe we look to uh, a new person that's come into our life or anything like that. It's always going to let us down. Okay, So this is, this is what God tells us and this is why David writes this. God doesn't forget anything, and the word remember here is used three different times. So let's take a look at this. Number one, David makes a call for God to remember. Now again, if he's forgotten something, he's not an all-knowing God. But David is saying this, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses. And so uh, I read somebody, I forgot who it was today, Uh, Anyway, I'll just quote them. This is a quote. The mark of salvation is the desire to be right with God. The mark of salvation is the desire to be right with God. Lost people don't care about that. Lost people don't care what God thinks. Lost people don't care if they're right with God or not. They live their life their own way. But a saved person, the first thing that happens to you when uh, you're being drawn to the Lord is conviction of sin, right? And you're burdened over your sin and you realize what your sin is going to do and you want to make it right with God. Now, maybe you don't understand the gospel and maybe you think, well, if I go to church and maybe if I give a tithe to the Lord, that'll make everything right between me and God. Uh, We try to make things right with God like we would make things right with a spouse or make things right with a friend or somebody like that. The Bible teaches, as you know, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And that's why Jesus came. He had to do it for us. He had to make us right with God because we didn't have the capability of doing anything like that. And what happened when you went to the Lord under conviction of your sin? I mean, I can tell you for me. I had made, as you know, a profession of faith before, but I didn't deal with sin, didn't understand anything about it. But when I, when I was 22, I came under such conviction and such a burden about my sin, that was the real difference between the time when I was 10 and the time that I was 22. Sin was the issue. What are you going to do with the guilt and the weight and the penalty that you deserve because of your sin and what you have done in breaking the law of God. 
And I remember that when I prayed and asked the Lord to forgive me of my sin because of what Christ had done for me, I remember then that the weight of sin seemed to just disappear. Did it do that for you? And uh, I know we don't go by our feelings or anything like that, but that's what happened. I felt the relief and the release of knowing that I was no longer under the condemnation of God. And uh, with that comes the desire not just to, okay, I'm saved now, everything's cool, I can do whatever I want. Believers don't think like that, do they? Believers always have a desire to be right with God. So let's say that you mistreat somebody and the Holy Spirit kind of, uh, you know, gives you the conviction of you were wrong when you did that. A saved person has a desire to get it fixed. A saved person wants to be right with God, blessed by God, walking in the power of God. And I think that's what we find with David here when he says, remember, I don't think he's implying that God has somehow forgotten it. He's just simply saying, I want to access that again, and I want you to bring that about in my life. I've experienced these tender mercies before. I want to experience these things again. I don't like the conviction. I don't like the guilt. I don't like the way that I'm feeling right now. I want to make things right with you. And so uh, the mark of salvation is the desire to be right with God. Knowing that our sins are paid for by Christ is not the same thing as just saying, I can live any way I want and do anything that I want to do and uh, hurt people and uh, sin against God. And not have any conviction about that. My sins were paid for on the cross. But I want the benefit. I want the blessing of that in my life. And that's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. So the application of forgiveness to life is made known when sins are, as the book of Proverbs says, confessed and forsaken. Confessed and forsaken. And so every time we confess our sin... The Greek word in 1 John 1, 9, homo legeo, means we say the same thing that God says. Now, when I sin, I'm not saying the same thing that God says. God says, don't. I say, oh, yes, I will. God says, this is sin. No, this is fun. God says, this is going to bring consequences. Now, I think I can handle it. And we go on and we do things our way. But when we confess our sins, we come to the Lord to say, you're right. That's wrong. That was a sin against you that's breaking your law and I'm wrong and I come to agree with you about that particular sin. Okay, Homo legeo is a word saying the same thing that God has to say about sins. Well, sometimes we do that. Have you ever heard somebody, even lost people will do this. They go, boy, that was a mistake. I never should have done that. Wow. And they are, are in bad shape because of that. But they don't do the last part that Solomon told us to do in Proverbs. Confess and forsake. He who covers his sin shall not find mercy. But he who confesses and forsakes his sin, they will find mercy, Solomon says. And a lot of people want to confess their sin. They will readily admit it was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That was a dumb thing to do. 
but they don't take any steps to confess their sin. So if you really want to know the tender mercies of God, because you are a sinner, you have sinned, you are sinning, you will sin, and the Bible goes on to say in 1 John 1, I believe it's verse 8, if we say we don't have sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. So we're talking to us and we're talking about us. And you just will say to the Lord, well, I know that was wrong. I hope nothing bad happens as I do it again. And you make plans to do it again. And you fall over and over and over and over. That's where the problem comes. Confessing and forsaking the sin. And when we do that, we find that the Lord has compassion. He has mercy. Tender mercies. Loving kindness. Words like that that are used here. The word tender mercies... Um, some translations, several translations, in fact, uh, translated that compassion. Now, have you ever thought about the fact, here you are, you sin, and the Lord, what's his attitude toward that? Well, he hates the sin, but he loves you. He hates the sin, he'll go to war against the sin in your life, but he will be compassionate toward you. Have you ever thought about God as being compassionate toward a sinner like you and compassionate toward his children? One of the Psalms says... As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And that's one of the characteristics we don't always find. Boy, he's going to be mad about this. Man, I'm going to get it for this. Well, have you ever left out the fact that he is compassionate when you sin? And the Bible even says that Jesus Christ is a sympathetic high priest. Sympathy? Really? Sympathy for me after what I've done? That's what it says. Sympathy for me in the midst of rebelling against him? That's what it says. He is able to come to our aid and he rescues us from those type of things. And a lot of people just don't see God like that. And so God, we need to understand, is not resistant to forgiving. It's not like we have to convince him to forgive us or overcome his reluctance or talk him into forgiving us. He's ready, willing, able, and eager, enthusiastic to forgive us of our sins. And so the loving kindness here is the kindness that comes from love. That's why those two words are put together. Loving kindness, the kindness that comes from his love. Now we all know that God loves us. And we all admit that God loves us, but do you stop and think that out of his love, how kind he is to you every single day, how kind he is to you when you're reading your Bible every day, how kind he is when you're giving money to the work of the Lord, how kind he is when you're witnessing? We all see that. But what about the kindness that he has when you blow it? What about the kindness that he has to you when you disobey him? Because we all do that. And that's the reason we're not toast. That's the reason we're not zapped. That's the reason we're still alive. The kindness of God keeps us alive. And the loving kindness or the kindness that comes from love is always operating in our lives. And so that's something to say amen to and that's something to praise God for because if he didn't show that to us, there's not a one of us that would be alive or have the kind of life that we have even now. And this is a faithful love and uh, your sin doesn't change his love one iota and your devotion to him doesn't increase his love his love is always constant always sure and it is faithful and it is a devoted love because whenever we sin who is it that pursues us 
You know, we don't always run to God like we should. And we don't always seek the Lord. Lost people can't, but saved people can, and we don't. So who is it that does the seeking? And the Lord pursues us. And he does it because he is devoted to us. He has promised that you are going to be conformed to the image of his son. And he is going to make sure that happens whether you want to or not. And he's so good that he pursues us when we uh, go astray. He pursues us when we do wrong. So we've got to get our thoughts about God turned around. Now, I'm not saying that God is not wrathful, and I'm not saying that God doesn't care about sin or anything like that, but I am saying, child of God, if you're looking at God the way a lost person, listen carefully, the way a lost person ought to see God, you're not going to enjoy the benefits of your salvation, because God looks at his children completely different than he does a lost person. So David appeals to God, put into action. Remember, put into force your tender mercies on me. I am really needing it right now. So to remember, it does more than remind God. It actually reminds us of God and his grace and his mercy and the desire to have all of that applied to your life. And so you look and you say, oh, Lord, I need grace. And God says, I know, I've already got it right here. I've been waiting to give it to you. I've been waiting to apply it to your life. And, uh, oh, really, I thought I was going to get clobbered for all of that. Now, God does discipline his children, but remember, he does it out of love. And he does it not to punish, but to correct. All of your punishment was put on the cross of Christ 2,000 years ago. He bore that for you. So now you have the loving correction of God. And maybe David was under the chastisement of God so heavy that he says, look, I need some relief. I've gotten the other stuff. I've learned my lesson. Now I want the tender mercies of God. And God gave it to David just like he will give it unto you. Number two, in this uh, little prayer here, there is the call for you to remember some things. It's not just, oh God, remember to be tender toward me, but it's also the call and the desire for us to remember who this God is. How well do we know him in the last part of uh, verse 6? And after he talks about the tender mercies and the loving kindness, he makes this statement, for they are from of old. In other words, they're not rare, they're not forgotten, they're not something that God just pulls out every once in a while when he needs it or for a special case like you. This is the way he always is. This is the same thing that Adam could testify. Loving kindness of God, yeah. When Adam ate of the fruit, God didn't kill him physically. And when Adam ate of the fruit and when he covered himself with fig leaves and then hid himself from God, God didn't fold his arms and sit back and say, well, if that's the way you want it, God came after Adam. Adam, Adam, where art thou? Sounds better in King James, doesn't it? And isn't it interesting? You think God didn't know where Adam was? Of course he knew. You think when God said, did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And Adam said, yeah, I did. And God goes, oh, news to me. What are we going to do now? Of course he knew. He's an all-knowing, ever-present God. But how kind it was for him to go after Adam when Adam was running from him. And the same thing is true with his children today. 
that we who have been saved by the grace of God need to live and walk in the grace of God so that whenever we stray, what happens if I don't come to the Lord? What happens if I don't get right with God? What happens if I don't confess? What happens if I don't forsake that sin? Well, the Lord as a loving Father, He disciplines me. And one of the things you have to do to discipline a child is you have to be present to some degree, don't you? Nobody in Hong Kong just kind of says, that kid of mine back in Oklahoma did something wrong. Mm. You know, it doesn't work like that, does it? There has to be the presence. And so uh, how is it that you apply the, uh, what is it uh, my dad used to say, the uh, board of education to the seed of knowledge? You can't do that absentee. How is it that you talk and you correct and you lay down the law? With that, you've got to have some sort of presence with all of that. And that, think about this, when the Bible says the Lord chastens those he loves, that's because he is present in your life even when you're doing everything you can to run from him, like a two-year-old running from his mama. You're not going to get very far, and he's always going to be there, and he is doing it not because he's angry at you, he's doing it because he loves you, and he's doing it to correct you. And this is not something new. This is not just a New Testament thing. This is something that David said. This is the way it has been from old. This is the nature of God. This is the love of God. This is the mercy of God. This is the kindness of God. All of those things you read about over and over and over and over when you go to the Old Testament. You know, some people have the idea... They say that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. He's been the way he is today from of old. He doesn't change. He doesn't need to change. And while, he, again, he hates sin, he will deal with sin, he will discipline us for sin, but he treats us differently than he does the unsaved. I want you to think about something. Psalm seven eleven. Does that ring a bell? God is a just judge, and God is angry with the wicked every day. So next time you witness to somebody, go up to them and say, Hey, I uh, just wanted to know how you're doing today. Can I tell you some really good news? What's the good news? God is really angry with you. You ever done that? We don't do that very often, do we? And we come across with the idea that God is kind of a namby-pamby being that, you know, he... Uh, he's kind of upset, but he doesn't really do anything. That's not what the Bible says. And this is the one thing that lost people don't understand. God is not loving you and having a wonderful plan for your life. He's very angry about their sin. And then when you think about John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes on the Son has everlasting life. Well, that's good news because that's us. But look at this next part of it. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but, listen to this, look at lost people this way, the wrath of God abides on him. See, this is why the Bible tells us don't be envious of the wicked because they don't really have it made and they're not doing better than you because you've got the love and the grace of God on your life on your worst day and they on their best day the wrath of God abides upon them it's just a matter of time until it is expressed if they don't get saved and so we forget how God sees us John 3 verse 18 
He, <clears throat> he who believes on the Son, let me get this uh, to the right place. My thumb hit the screen. I don't like touch screens sometimes. Um, well, where did it go? Excuse me, I will find it here. I've probably gone back too far and then uh, try to turn the page and don't go far enough. But when you think about the Bible saying that the lost are condemned, not later, but condemned already. And yet the Bible says about you, Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think sometimes we kind of get the idea that God is dealing with us the same way he deals with everybody else. But the truth of the matter is you and I are different because we are the purchased possession of God. And he deals with us in a different manner. He deals with us as his children where he deals with the other ones as a judge and so think about everything you go through even when you do the same thing that a lost person does it's different it's not acceptable it's not right and you will be disciplined for it but you're disciplined in love you're not disciplined in anger you're disciplined by your father who wants to correct you you're not disciplined by a judge who could care less about the whole situation so uh, th this is just amazing that we don't always see exactly who we are and where we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not condemned, they are. We are living under the grace of God. They have the wrath of God abiding on them. And the Lord loves you every day with an everlasting love, the Bible says. And the Bible says He's angry with them every day. And that ought to make you happy. That ought to make you know that as an imperfect person, as a sinner, that God is going to deal with you different than he's going to deal with someone who doesn't know him. This is what David is talking about. And that's nothing new. This is how God has been all the time and all along as we saw with Adam and Eve. But it's no different with you. And God doesn't feel differently about you and go, uh, yeah, well, you know, you've blown it and you've messed up. But boy... David now, boy, he was a great guy. David, God hated David's sin as much as he did yours. But here's the good news. Let's flip the coin over. God loves you and restores you every bit as much as he did David. And in spite of David and his sins, he was always the standard for what a king should be. Isn't that interesting? Always the standard. And even when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall rule, the angel told Mary, on the throne of his father. Who? David. David. Why didn't he just kick David out? Why didn't he just forget about David? Why didn't he put David at the bottom of the list and pick out somebody else? Because God doesn't do that. His love is ever constant, ever sure. And it's an everlasting love. And even his correction chastisement correction keep that in mind is done out of love he loves you just the way you are but he's not going to let you stay that way there's improvement that we all need and that's what david is praying about number three now there's a call for god to forget okay that's that's kind of funny to me and it's a little bit humorous but it's also kind of funny strange 
Why do you call on God to remember certain things and then you want him to forget other things? There are some things we go to God, oh God, you know everything. Man, I wish you sure didn't know that. Don't bring that up again. How does God deal with our sins whenever we as believers uh, sin? Well, as you know, they are washed in the blood, put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So does God all of a sudden have spiritual amnesia and you come to him and you say, oh Lord, I've done it again. And he goes, what are you talking about? I have no idea. Uh, Well, then he wouldn't be an all-knowing God, would he? And we'd have to change our theology. If God knows everything, he knows your past, your present, and your future. And what is beautiful about God, knowing all of that, he never brings it up once it is put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it talks about uh, our sins are cast as far as the east from the west, he means that. And that means that he chooses not to bring them up and he is not going to hold us in contempt of court or anything like that at all because this isn't a courtroom situation anymore it's a family situation this is your father this is the one who loves you this is Jesus your older brother the one who died for you this is the Holy Spirit your comforter and they want you to be right with God it's not like God is sitting in heaven just wait till he comes back I'll clobber him It's like what we see whenever the Apostle Peter, after he denied the Lord, whenever he's gone back out fishing and he sees the Lord on the bank, give Peter credit, he jumped in the water and got back to Jesus as fast as he could. But you notice Jesus isn't standing there with a whip. He's standing there saying, I made you breakfast. Jesus is ready to restore fellowship with the Apostle Peter. And I just find that such a wonderful and beautiful and loving thing because I don't know that you could sin much worse than to deny the Lord three times. And uh, to make it even worse, Jesus even warned him about it, didn't he? But what happened? The Lord is a forgiving God and the Lord is interested in restoring fellowship much more than he is getting you straight or punishing you or showing you his displeasure or anything like that at all. And this is uh, what David is talking about here in verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. And there are just some things we want to leave with God and some things we would just rather never talk about again and not bring up anymore. And this is what David is praying for. I'm embarrassed by them. I'm hurt by them. I've hurt other people by them. I mean, uh, I know this psalm is not written about his adultery with Bathsheba, but if it were, or if it was something similar, can you imagine all of the guilt that David would feel and all the people that he hurt and all of the people that were stumbled who thought highly of David, but now not so much anymore because he couldn't keep it a secret, could he? And uh, yet he comes before the Lord and he said, Lord, don't bring that up anymore and remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. And this is where he is praying here that reminding us that we're all in that situation. Everybody in this room has a past. And we're all haunted by certain things, bad memories, things that we did that were wrong. Or maybe you're haunted by things that maybe you should have done and you never got around to it. We're all, we all have those things. I do, you do, everybody you know does. And even David had that. And so while there are consequences and while there is pain and while there is regret and while there is brokenness, 
Think about this. God uses all of that to actually bring you closer to Him and to make you more like Him. Shepherds in the days in which David lived, and he would be very familiar with this, if they had a little lamb that kept straying, and the lamb wouldn't listen to the voice of the shepherd or learn his lesson or anything like that. It seems cruel, but they would take that little lamb and they would break its leg. Then the lamb couldn't walk. So you know what the shepherd would do? He would put the lamb up on his shoulders. And he would carry that lamb everywhere he would go. And that leg had to heal. And finally, when that leg healed after the Six weeks or whatever it takes for that to happen. The lamb is healed and he's able to walk now on his own. And the shepherd takes him down and puts him on the ground. And the little lamb now tests it. It's starting to work and it doesn't hurt. And he can do that. But something has happened during that time. The broken leg caused the lamb to be closer to the shepherd than he has ever been before. The lamb's not following mama. He can't. The lamb's not running after the, the big sheep, the big boys that are going to get him in trouble because he can't. He's also not running over in the path of the wolf either, is he? Because he can't. Where is he? He's right there close to the shepherd. He smells the shepherd. He hears the shepherd. He can feel his, the shepherd. And he is now close to the shepherd. And an amazing thing happens, they tell me, that when they would take that lamb off and put him on the ground, that lamb would never leave the shepherd again. You think about your life. Why does God bother to chastise us? Why is it that we are broken? David even said in Psalm 51 that the bones you have broken may rejoice. That's interesting. Broken bones? Get it now? And so God does these things so that we will actually get closer to Him, desire Him, and enjoy the blessing of fellowship with God. There's not a sin you could ever commit that would ever compare with fellowship with God. And you and I don't really believe that as we should or it'd be easy to turn away from sin. But we think there's something out there that is going to help us. It's going to bless us. Well, that's exactly what the serpent told Eve. You're not going to die, but God knows in the day <coughs> that you eat thereof, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. What? You mean he's been holding something back? Yeah, go for it. Go for the gusto. It'll be great. You're not going to die. Don't worry about it. God didn't mean what he says. Well, they found out different. And why were they doing that? Just because God was just so mad? You're going to get it now. You've embarrassed me or anything. No. He sought them out. He killed an animal. Innocent blood was shed. And then they were properly clothed. And yes, there were consequences. But there was also grace to carry through the consequences. And this is the way that it works. That we might learn that everything we are looking for and everything that we want We'll find it in the Lord Jesus Christ and never in the world. And so sometimes we get our leg broken. And the Lord carries us through so that we will be so close to Him, love Him so much, get to know Him so much, we don't want to wander out there because there's nothing out there for us. And so um, in Psalm 79, verse 8, David says, Oh, do not remember uh, former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies 
uh, come speedily to us. Come speedily to us. You ever prayed that? Lord, I need forgiveness. I need to get right with you. And I pray that your tender mercies would come in a hurry. I mean, lights and sirens. Bring them my way. Bring them mock speed. Whatever you want to say in there. I need it and I need it now. This is how desperate that uh, David was in that particular psalm. And uh, that tells us what he is praying for here. Let your tender mercies come to me speedily. And uh, for, look at this, we have been brought very low. You've ever, ever been brought very low by something you did that was stupid? By something you did that was evil? By something you did that was wrong? Why did I do that? I can't believe I would do something like that. And it has a high price to pay in the consequences. Well, that's where David is. And uh, an all-knowing God can't forget, but he ceases to, or he would cease to be all-knowing. And so what he does, he chooses not to bring it up. So do you think David is in heaven today? And every time he walks by the throne, he goes, Oh, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did with Bathsheba again. You think that that's been going on for all of these <coughs> thousands of years? No, because it's put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think that God holds a grudge. And we think that God is always bringing everything up and, and trying to clobber us with it to trip us up and to make us feel bad. And I've got news for you. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's another spirit. And the demons of hell love to trip you up. They love to bring up the past. They love to hurt you again over and over and over and over. And we forget that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we need the tender mercies of God. And we're going to live in it forever when we get to heaven. And uh, you think about how the Bible says God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. And uh, when we think about that, we can be brought very low like David was. That's kind of a sign of depression. But I'd like for you, we're just about done here, to turn with me to the book of Romans. And the 8th chapter of Romans is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Will you turn there and look at verse 26 and let's just... Read it together and let's let it fill our souls. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Written to the children of God, sinful children of God, undisciplined children of God, immature children of God, rebellious and stubborn children of God. Here's what it says. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit does. Now go down to verse 37. Okay. We'll skip a few verses. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and just in case he didn't cover it, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us 
from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, did you hear that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Somebody ought to say amen to that. Because you couldn't survive without that. And so even though you're at your lowest, you don't know how to pray, you don't know what to pray, you don't know what to think about what you've done or where you find yourself, God says, I'm for you. And my spirit is with you. And my spirit is praying for you. And you don't know what to say, but he does. And he always prays exactly the right thing. Why? Because it's all done out of, as we saw in verse 6, the loving kindness of God. He is kind to his children. And number four, think about this. The call for right thinking. Our thinking about God is so wrong and so limited and so short. I can remember when I was a kid and my parents would discipline me. I thought they were the meanest people in the entire world. Who would do this to a kid? Who would act like this to a kid? I mean, it didn't matter whether they spanked me or whether they grounded me or whatever. I hated it, and I just could not believe that they would do that to someone like me. And you know what? I find that there are a lot of believers who feel that way about God. They think that God is just watching over them, and he's got the club, and he's going, I knew you would do it sooner or later. Take that! That's not the view that you get when you read the Bible. That's not the view when you read Romans chapter 8. This is a God who hates what you're doing, but he loves you. This is a God who will do whatever it takes to get you out of that so you can be right with him and enjoy the blessings of a relationship with him. He wants you to enjoy it. The Westminster Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? And the answer is, The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying his blessings? Are you walking with him? Do you understand that if God is for you, it doesn't matter what the world does, what the devil does, what the demons of hell do, or anybody else, it doesn't matter because God is for you, so who can be against you? And so David says at the last part of verse 7, According to your mercy, remember me. Now, I like that because I've got some people that whenever they think of my name, they think of something bad, and they're not very merciful. They're angry. <clears throat> they're hurt, they're critical, they're mad, that type of thing. You, you probably have some people like that, or maybe not, I don't know. But when David says, according to your mercy, remember me, he's saying this, Lord, my prayer is that you would bring us to the place that whenever you think about me, it brings a smile. Whenever you think about me, it warms your heart. Whenever you think about me, it brings you joy, and it brings you pleasure. And you notice that when... David talks about this. He doesn't say, because I have done so good and because I'm such a a good person. But uh, he appeals once again like he does all through all of this to the mercy of God. Now, why do you need mercy? You need mercy because you've messed up. You need mercy because you're in trouble. You need mercy because without the mercy, you're going to get it. And so David 
praise for, of course, the mercy of God. And we've got to think about that. When we think about God, do you think about Him being angry? Do you think about Him being just ready to clobber you? Do you think about Him pushing you away and holding you at a distance? Do you think about Him regretting, maybe even, that He even saved you? What did I even save them for? I can't believe I died for that scum and all of that. Is that the way the Bible presents God? David says, according to your mercy, remember me. And he's saying, remember me in a positive way. Now, see the mercy thing? It doesn't mean it's because some people are better than others. It's because we're all guilty before God. We're all in need of mercy. And he says, for goodness sake, O Lord. And uh, think about that. The Lord wants to bless you because it's a good thing for him to do for his children. And God hates sin, but deeply loves his children, as we said before. And we need to get it in our minds that the God who chastises us, the God who calls us to live holy, that when we blow it, he also is the God who is most eager to restore us, much more eager than you ever would be. And so when you remember that, then you think about the prodigal son and the prodigal son's dad was out there waiting for him. And when he saw him, he ran to the son and then put the robe on his back and the shoes on his feet. And so he's compassionate, merciful, and uh, he is eager to forgive his children. And so you notice David said, don't remember my sin, but please remember me. I thought of that song we used to sing when I was a kid, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do remember me. And that's what David is saying here. Remember me, Lord. Pay attention to me. Work in my life and do it according to your loving kindness. Because if we were lost, then we would hope that God would maybe not notice us. You know, lost people like to do their sinning in the dark. They like to do it in a certain place at a certain time where nobody's going to see. And it's not just the cops they're afraid of. They do it, they love darkness rather than light because they don't want God to see it. You know what they're going to find out the hard way? He saw. He was aware of everything that was going on. Did you notice here David wasn't hiding from God? He was actually calling attention to God. Oh Lord, in loving kindness, remember me. Pay attention to me. Look to me. Why? Because God's people understand that God is willing and able to and eager to forgive our lives and our sin whenever it comes our way. And so uh, I think that it's easy for us to kind of go, well, then I can do anything I want if he's like that. Well, that would just prove that you have a fake religion. Isaiah twenty nine eighteen says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me, with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. That's not a good thing. And God is not saying play a game. God is not saying look good in front of everybody else. God is saying be sincere when you do this. I'm more willing to forgive you than you could ever imagine. And so as saved people, we still sin, but we run in a different direction. We run to God, not away from God. And we understand God is compassionate. God is merciful. And we think about like James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a great promise. That's a great promise. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, knowing our having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He's willing to forgive, folks. Psalm 73, verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to the Lord. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. You know why God wants to forgive you so much? And God wants you to know his forgiveness? So you'll tell other people about him. What do you think the world thinks about God? All kinds of crazy, mixed up, inappropriate kind of stuff. Some, some of them absolutely hate God. Some of them think God is just a, doesn't really matter, no big deal. Some say he doesn't even exist. And God lets us go through what we go through, hard times, sinful times, and then he forgives us and then he restores us so that we have a message to talk to our lost friends and neighbors and loved ones and family members. I've been in the valley. God brought me out and he forgives sinners like us. Praise his holy name. There are a lot of people that look at your life and say, well, yeah, if I had a charmed life like you, I would probably serve God too. So God puts us through the ringer so we, we grow and so that we are corrected and so we can also say to lost sinners, let me tell you something and let me tell you about God and let me introduce you to the God that I serve. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever you are going to go through in the future, it's not out of love. God is doing it to forgive you. God is doing it because he loves you. And God is allowing it to happen because he's going to make you a better witness than you have ever been before and more pleasing to him than you've ever been before. Because David said, that's just the way he is. And he has always been that way. And he doesn't change a thing because there's no need to change perfection. And God is a perfect God. And he deals with you in a perfect way every single time. Let's pray. Father, we are so much like little children. We think if things don't go our way, that somehow we, uh, you hate us. We think that if things don't go our way, you're not being faithful to us. And yet nothing could be farther from the truth. And so like David, we pray, when you look to us, remember your loving kindness. Remember your love and your devotion to us. Remember, Lord, how you promised that you would deal with us with kindness because you have love for us. And forgive us when we don't really see it that way or we downplay all of that as though the wrath of God is a big deal, but the compassion of God is not. No, they're both a big deal. Help us not to overlook one in favor of the other. Help us to truly rest in you and to tell that story to others. God forgives sinners and he is eager to forgive sinners. How do I know that? Because he has forgiven me. Thank you that you are a friend of sinners like us. And thank you, Lord, for the wonderful day that's going to happen, I believe, soon. When we go to heaven... And we don't have to worry about this anymore because you're going to make us perfect like Christ. But until then, may we run to you every time we sin, willingly, happily, joyfully, and quickly. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.